Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. John chapter 4, as we continue our exposition of this minor prophet, I was asking Casey as he was coming down the stage, um, I often ask questions of people to make sure that my thoughts are, are correct. I asked him if it's hot in here, and he said, absolutely. So I like to live in truth and reality, and we're doing our best to get that thing cranked up and appreciate wisdom and knowledge in that. Guys that can be able to do that, appreciate you. Now, last week, we were able to process some thoughts, an introduction, more or less, concerning the heart and attitude of Jonah. This chapter seems kind of odd, doesn't it? It seems kind of odd, but yet it is apropos because it's one of those things where we see ourselves often, like Jonah does, complaining about the things of God. At the center of Jonah's heart was a displeasure of how God gave grace to the Ninevites. It's almost an attitude of how dare you, God, give your grace and mercy to those Gentile pagans. Of course, as Jonah speaks, God reveals it's inspired. Here it is. And the hard issue of it all is because God did something that Jonah did not want God to, God to do. It is safe to say that we, even as redeemed believers in Christ, like to control God according to our purposes and plans, do we not? I don't think it should have shocked Jonah that God would show his grace and mercy. I mean, he tells us very clearly in this passage that that he sees his attributes and he has every right to do what he has done. And instead of rejoicing, Jonah complains. And whenever God does his thing, and it goes against our wisdom, what follows is a hard attitude against the purposes of God. We don't like the outcome, we mope, we sulk, we complain. I often laugh at Israel in the wilderness where God provided, I mean literally provided food manna and quail, and they complained. Gentlemen, it would be like us complaining that we got tri-tip every day of the week. But this is exactly where we find the prophet Jonah, a heart that is displeased because God did something outside of his counsel, outside of his desires. Let me read our text, so that we can settle into this, starting in verse 10 of chapter 3 of Jonah. It says this, 
When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for for death is better to me than life. The Lord says, do you have good reason to be angry? Let us pray. Father, again, we come to your word desiring to allow its inspiration, its truth, and the power of the Holy Spirit to teach us this morning. We desire to to see the foolishness of Jonah, and we can clearly see it. And yet, Lord, we're often blinded by our own sin as we fall into our own displeasure, as we think that things should go this way or that way. And so, Lord, we, right out of the chute, we seek for forgiveness for that. We seek for direction and healing and and having our minds steadfast on what is right and good and to be able to praise and rejoice when you do things that, that surprise us but doesn't surprise you. Spirit, have your way with us. Help your teacher as he teaches. May we all desire to honor you as we think through this passage. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. It is reported that Matthew Arnold had a weakness for complaining. When he died at his funeral, a guest said, Poor Matthew, he won't like God either. There are many Christians like this. They, they obey from sheer necessity. This is like the call that we have to. But they have no joy in the will and the purposes of God. And shame on us. Shame on us that we would be displeasured in the one who has redeemed and saved us. Who has granted us the very grace that Jonah is, is crying out against that we experience daily. Jonah seems to have this character, this desire to... to, to denounce his displeasure, you only get the sense from the text and from the, from the book that he obeyed out of, out of, out of knowing that, that God is going to do what God is going to do, but he wanted to have his day in court, and he did not give an ounce of joy. Beloved, like we said last week, the eternal purpose and plan of God is so far above us It's so far above us that we can barely even get a glimpse of some of the reasons for which God is doing what God is doing. And because we are are infinite or finite and he is infinite, his wisdom is far away. And nor does he ever, the creator needs to explain to the created what he's doing. We do and can trust this, beloved, however, that, that God is a good God. His character are always steadfast. They are always present. And he will do accordingly to his attributes. 
God will do according to his character, which is always good, which is always for his glory, which is always for our good. And we need to burn that in our minds, even when things seem amiss, at least with our finite understanding. We need to trust that whatever God is doing by saving 120,000 Gentiles is for his glory and for his purposes. We need a reminder that when God shows his hand, that he's doing something that we think that, boy, God, you shouldn't extend your grace there, but we rejoice in the hand of grace and the God behind it. Jonah needs to a reminder, and often we need this reminder, that God is a kind and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. He says that in his prayer. He recognizes the attributes of God, but yet even in the midst of that, Right theology can lead to a wrong application, and such is the case with Jonah. You'll notice the first thing that pops out of Jonah's heart is is his anger, his anger towards mercy and grace. And this is so interesting to me because, remember, this is the guy who was swallowed by a fish thrown overboard, who in the belly of the fish cried out for grace and mercy, and God extended it. And yet... When God desires to show his grace and mercy to others, he resents it. You'll look at verse 1, Jonah's anger over the mercy of God. It reads there again, but it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Of course, this falls on the heels of what we saw already in verse 10. For God is relenting, and we gave, uh, hopefully, a clear understanding of what we looked at that, when it's not that God changed his mind, but because in his left power is judgment, in his right hand is mercy and grace, he chose to withdraw his justice and give his grace and mercy. That's what's going on in here. And too often we live in a society that strips away certain attributes of God, and we only like this part of God. Why? Because we can control that, and we can like that. But when we think about God and His immense ability to do accordingly to what He desires to do, we find ourselves out of control, rightly so. I've just minded this this week of the foolishness of people who, who fashion a God according to their own likeness. How many of you read the Faith Corner this week in the paper? Just a few. Lois, you're laughing with me. You know where the preacher's going to go with this. It's disheartening. Here is a, a pastor who, who talks about and redefines a Jesus that's not in the pages of scriptures. Not a single verse to back up his claims that God healed a Roman centurion's homosexual lover. No proof text, no pointing to the Word of God, but yet fashioning a God that says that that sin is acceptable and right and good. Well, you can tell what your pastor did with his computer. (laughs) We need to buy a new one, right? But I think we do that even, beloved, in our own minds, don't we? We fashion a God who desires to sit according to our likeness, and we don't like it when we see all the attributes of God on display. 
to get here in verse 1. It's referring back to God's action in verse 10 of chapter 3. God is showing his grace and mercy instead of judgment and condemnation. The kindness and compassion of God, his mercy and his grace, was the subject of Jonah's wrath and anger. That's what he's displeased about. In other words, God did something that Jonah did not like. And this wasn't a passive displeasure. It's pretty interesting when you look at the Hebrew at this verse. It's emphatic. And you get that a little bit in the midst of your English translation. It says there that Jonah was greatly displeased. He was emphatically displeased. He is showing everybody around him would know that he's angry at God. And literally in the Hebrew, it says at the end of verse 1 that it, that's speaking about God relenting, it was burning to him. I mean, this was anger raised within his soul. His heart was on fire. He was enraged. Jonah is so enraged that he prays, which is pretty remarkable in verse 3, that death is better to me than life. The outcome of God's grace and mercy, it's better for me to die than to rejoice. He literally wants to die. He doesn't want it to be associated with the greatest revival on earth. Why? Because it didn't go his way. And when we think about this, what in the world is going on in Jonah's heart that this would be his outcome? I mean, if we came back next week and said, you know, well, he had 120,000 kids come to know Christ. I think we would all be rejoicing in the fact of God's kindness to those little ones, to those kids to receive grace and to receive mercy. But something's going on here. And I think we can kind of see between the lines a little bit. You think about what a prophet is called to do. I don't know if it was a self situation where he goes to Nineveh, he proclaims that judgment is coming, and God didn't back up his statement, his prophetic statement. It leads one to speculation of why this would be the outcome of his heart. Is he thinking that mercy and grace are only chosen or reserved for Israel and not those outside of Israel? I mean, this is interesting. There's two responses going on here. I mean, Scripture is very clear when, in Jonah where it says when God saw in verse 10 of chapter 3, he responds to their repentance and their belief with grace and mercy. And yet when Jonah sees it, he responds with what? Anger, displeasure. And so those, those are fighting one another here in the midst of all this. He showed his hand to character, speaking about God. And when Jonah saw what God did, he was displeased exceedingly. He was angry, the scripture tells us. Whereas God was patient and slow to anger against Nineveh, Jonah was wanting justice done quickly and swiftly. And how often do we find ourselves in that, in that fight of our own souls, wanting justice today, and allowing the patience of God to be given so grace and mercy can be received? I don't know about you, you look at your own salvation, how much patience and long-suffering that God gave you before you believed and repented. Matter of fact, I think all of us could look back at when that point was, and we can look back at that sinful life before, and immediately one, just a part of that. I know that God needed to give me justice when I was a sophomore in high school. 
And then it got intensified as I was a junior in high school. And I thank the Lord that I was, I thank him for that. That he draws me at the point of age of 19 to his grace and his mercy. I don't know about you, I often think about what God is looking at us and what he sees and the foolishness that we do, the sinful nature that we have. And yet I think that it's important for us to understand that it's, we're grateful that God is slow in his judgment. I think what's also remarkable about the text, I mean, he, he shows and, and the text points out that he is greatly displeased. And then verse 2 tells us he prays. And this is kind of remarkable because you think about it. I mean, it's almost like Jonah wants a face-to-face with God here. He wants to stand with his reasoning against the omniscient, all-knowing God He's going straight to the top of the chain of command. He wants some time with God Almighty. And instead of praising God for his grace and mercy, Jonah brings a prayer, a complaint. We see this unfold in verses 2 and 3, that he complains against the mercy of God. Look at verse 2 with me. It reads, he says, He prayed to the Lord, Yahweh, and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said? Why, I mean, do you see the selfishness of this? Don't you understand the reason why I fled in the first place? He says, he says, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, an abundant loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. It's all about Jonah. And usually sin is that way, isn't it not? Sin and our understanding of what God should do or not do often can, can drift its way into this realm of selfishness. That we want to use God according to our purposes, what we think is best. And yet God says, I'm going to lay this case out before you. And he prays and he gives him the reasons why he fleshed, like if God didn't know his heart already. Now, like I said, Jonah gives this reason for his angry prayer. He knew God would do according to his character. And so why wouldn't Jonah rejoice? I mean, he knows that God is these things. And so he tells God, if God doesn't already know, the reason why he fled and the reason why his actions are more righteous than God. He says, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Excuse me. My tongue got stuck. Jonah knew that God often displayed this aspect of his character. And for that matter, Jonah, like we already pointed out, experienced it in Jonah chapter 2. And by the way, this is the second time Jonah prays. Two opposite ends. And you can see what's happening here. First time Jonah prays in Jonah chapter 2. Remember that situation? He's praying for grace. He's praying for God to be sovereign in his life. And when we think and thought about that, I mean, just the reality of God already creating a fish big enough to swallow a man. Which, by the way, I don't know if you saw that news release on the East Coast where a man was swallowed by a humpback whale just, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago. Interesting to me. 
the truthfulness of, of the scripture that continues to, to point itself to the reality that this is right and this is true. So Jonah prays the first time in Jonah chapter 2 for God to be gracious. And here in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah prays, pointing to some attributes of God, but protesting, complaining, angered against God's grace and mercy. I don't want you to think that there's a different aspect of God's grace and mercy in chapter 2 as it is in, in chapter 4. It's the same grace and mercy that Jonah received that God gave to the Ninevites in chapter 4. It's the same. And yet, Jonah doesn't like it. I wonder how often we walk around with this idea of entitlement as Christians, that we can wield our sword and say, hey, Lord, I want you to save here, but don't save there. Especially when the offenses come against you. Especially when it hits our own souls. I don't know about you, when the offenses come our way, we want what? The power and justice of God to come now. We're looking to the sky to see the lightning, but we want to see it. And how often does the Spirit with His Word melt our hearts and, and start speaking to our souls about how foolish it is to think that way? In Jonah's prayer here in chapter 4, Jonah gets right to the point, to the character of a, of a sovereign God in both his prayers and his application of such. In this prayer, he faults God. Do you realize that? He, he knows that God is the reason for his anger. He complains to God that his attributes are used out of context, and how dare he use them not according to Jonah's wishes. And he believes that, God, that God's grace and mercy is only for whom he determines it to be. And like I said earlier, how often do we do that? How often do we study the Word of God and think it can only be applied to me when it's all good, right, and, and helpful, right? And yet when it comes to the evil stuff, the bad stuff, we want God as to push a button to launch His anger and wrath towards the unrighteousness. When God gives His mercy and grace to someone who isn't on our list, we shout, we complain. And we say, no way, God, that can't happen. And when it does, we find ourselves skeptical. I mean, this is, I'm right there with you. I identify. We, we find ourselves skeptical if that salvation was really sincere. We are almost like the detectives looking at the life of the one that we think shouldn't be extended grace. And we're waiting for them to mess up. So we can point to their sin and say, ah, look, it was a false conversion. We just want to wait and pounce when our enemy who receives grace and mercy in Christ messes up and say, see there, look, look at their sins. Surely they weren't saved. Shameful. This is what I love about our great God. He teaches us things about our own hearts, even as he is shaping others' hearts. This is what his doctrine of omnipresence, the ability to be present 
at every point at the same time yet doing different things. And here he is using his word to go after the Ninevites and yet he's using his truth to go after the heart of a disobedient, reluctant prophet. Helping Jonah along the way understand why he is good and righteous and just, and he exposes the sinfulness of our heart. And some degree, I think sometimes we think that, that those are hidden in there, and they, they, they come and they arise themselves out of the heart. Now, it's remarkable when we think about what he's praying here. These divine attributes that Jonah cites in his prayer are taken from what has been taught by his forefathers, what's been taught to him. This truth that Jonah has learned comes out of Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, where the Lord reissues the Ten Commandments to Moses and says this, Then the Lord passed by in front of him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of our fathers on the children and on grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. I mean, you look at those two verses there in Exodus 34, and you can see the justice of God and the mercy of God both on display here. God tells about himself as being the one who is, who is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, his right hand of grace and mercy, abounding in hesed love, this, 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 this type of love that is so undescribable that the only thing I think that we can grasp its meaning is to think about the Greek word agape, which is unconditional love. But here you have on the right hand, and rightly so, the, the characters of God who's abounding in this loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin. And yet, he speaks and says, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, the justice and the holiness of God. Visiting iniquity on the fathers, of the, on the children, and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Jonah notes that God is gracious, compassionate. A pair, he pairs these up in his, these attributes that focus with the favor of, of, of God upon those who are undeserved, those who are sinners. These are actions that God gives to those who don't deserve them. That's why we define grace as unmerited favor to the undeserved sinner. Something that God is able to give. Not that we deserve, not that we can earn it, not that we can do any actions to receive it. They are actions that show the tenderness of God. And for the one who receives such actions, that grace overwhelms them, does it not? The next pair of attributes in verse 2 are slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. These are attributes that refer, refer to, to the fatherhood of God, His paternal love for His children. He's slow to anger. is actually in the Hebrew, which is interesting. It's a Hebrew idiom that literally means long nostril. And if you've ever seen somebody who is angry, what happens to their nostril? It, it inflames, right? 
And that's exactly what's happening here. It's in the Hebrew in idiom that's pointing that God doesn't do that. He is slow with his long nostrils, is what you can say. It takes a lot for him to move with his anger. But when it does, it comes swiftly and with justice and righteousness. And Jonah would understand that God is slow to anger and how patient God is to his own people. He understands all those things, at least with his head. But the problem is that we can find ourselves in Christianity having such a head knowledge of God that it forgets to travel about six, six inches down to our heart. It, it doesn't shape our heart in the midst. We, we expect God in, in a cold and calculated way to do a certain thing that we expect him to do. Instead of having that doctrine transform our hearts to, to understand that, yes, God rightly so can bring justice and mercy according to his plans, according to his purposes, depending on which one he wants to give. And then he notes this. I think this is interesting. Not only is God slow to anger, but abundant. That word abundant means that it never ends. Abundant in loving kindness. He's abundant in his hesed love for those who need justice, who rightly should deserve justice. I love that hymn that we sing often here. His mercy is more. His mercy is more than any sin that we can ever commit. I mean, that's the grace and kindness of God. That is Hesed love. And that's what we find ourselves in our Savior. A forgiveness, a love that is so far beyond our comprehension. And then the final attribute that Jonah puts in his prayer stands alone at the end of verse 2. This is kind of like a, a climax. He pairs the other attributes together and he comes with his last Climactic attribute of God where it says, and one who relents concerning calamity. That's exactly what he did. God relented of his calamity against Nineveh. And instead of rejoicing, Jonah got angry. Jonah is pointing to this, uh, that, that, God, that he knows that God is the one who shows mercy more often than his justice. I mean, I think we get that. We look into our own life, like I said earlier, we who are sinners are not judged the first time we sin. You realize that? The very first time Scripture tells us that you sin, judgment should come to you. God is very kind to the sinner and gives the sinner what he doesn't deserve. Why? Because he's slow to anger and desires to display his son as the only propitiation for your sins. God gives the sinner, Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of his salvation, this new covenant where the blood of Jesus is shed for the sinner as an atonement for your sins. I mean, I push back from this, 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 
this verse. And like I noted earlier, he had every he had right theology about the character and attributes of God. However, he misapplies that, which tells us something, doesn't it? That we can be so spot on with our theology, but in our application, we can fail. And how God applies it. And how God uses it. Then, verse 3. I mean, I think this is kind of like a shot across the bow. He's, he's trying to tell God how serious he is. He says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Poor, pitiful Jonah. For death is better to me than life. Again, selfishness, right? Instead of rejoicing when the enemies of God repent and receive God's grace and mercy, Jonah prefers death. He's done. He wants out of the game. I mean, this is an ultimatum. Jonah's trying to force God to choose between him or the Ninevites. In essence, what he's saying, God, you either destroy them or you destroy me. And this is what I love about our God. that He often does this to our wrong hearts in times to awaken our souls to what is right and what is true. In verse 4, God gives us a rhetorical question that we all know the answer to, right? The Lord said, do you, of course, context, speaking to Jonah, do you, Jonah, have good reason to be angry? And when God speaks, guess what? I think Jonah just melted. I mean... He almost dug his own grave by pointing to all the attributes of God and, and, and looking at him. <laughs> you have your answer, Jonah. Which he's also telling Jonah that you have no good reason to be in the heart condition that you find yourself in. And I just love this. Because often when we find ourselves, like Jonah, complaining, like the psalmist who complains, like the Israelites who complain, God speaks and dismantles how foolish our complaints are. Even as a response, by the way, beloved, he's giving Jonah grace and long-suffering. He is patient with Jonah, his prophet. I don't know about you, sometimes when we see that with our own children, even in our own parenting, we, we don't wait, we bring the rod of correction. I don't know what you do in your parenting home, but the scripture calls us very clearly, spare the rod, spoil the child, and, and so we would raise our kids up that way. And, but yet we also wanted them to understand that there's a Savior there. And so when we would discipline them, we'd have them go to the bathroom, We'd sit them in there, and, and part of that, going to the bathroom, is that, that Sheree and I needed to pray before we go in, because the wrath of bear is coming, right? And so we wanted to temper that a little bit, and so I would go in there, and I remember one little girl who's about to get married, who looked at me, and she's been shared Jesus Christ. She's been shared grace and mercy. And one time in a previous disciplining aspect of her life, I put out my hand. I said, this punishment is deserved for you, but I am going to give it to myself. And I'm waiting for her to say, why? 
I said, because this is what Jesus does for us. So we go in there, and she looks at me, and she says, Daddy, I want grace. I said, Daddy's not giving grace today. (laughs) Here's Jonah wanting what he wants in the midst of life. Instead of just marveling at the hand of God, I think you do realize that you can't control him, right? We can delight in him. We can praise him. And when we see those acts of kindness, let us rejoice in saying, that's God. That's his hand. That's him moving. I guarantee you that there are going to be some some people in heaven that we are going to be shocked to see. But may it not be, right? Why? Because grace and the only reason there is because of Christ and his grace and his mercy. I think there's a couple applications that we can push away from this. Uh, some of them are already mentioned. I think you need to be reminded, we need to be reminded that God will always do what he says he will do according to his character. We can go to the bank on that. And what it would be wise for us, as his children, our hearts should cling to the attributes of God so that when we see it happen, we rejoice. Even when we're surprised when he displays those attributes, we should rejoice. And then the second one I've been driving into our souls is making sure that our hearts are connected to our theology. People do wicked things. In Exodus 34, God says he will bring forth his justice. Remember that. However, he also has the right to display his hesed loving kindness, his abundant loving kindness. May we connect our hearts with reality, especially for us who have repented of our sins, who have experienced His grace. May we want that for others. I think where the disconnect comes, when our heart is not attached to our theology, is that we look at God as an education process instead of a life transformation process. Instead of looking at God in the pure pleasure and delight, we look at Him as, as, a, as a project to dissect instead of delighting in His goodness and kindness to us. May we be more like Christ. May we learn from Jonah what not to do May this check our own souls and our own hearts and our own prayers when we think God should do something. Who are we? And do we have any good reason to be angry at God? Of course, the answer is no. His ways are always good. His ways give us hope. His ways give us salvation. His way is the only way that will give us life and eternal life to boot. Amen? Father, again, thank you for the morning. The joy and delight to to have our hearts examined by the text, even though the heat is on Jonah. We see that in our own souls. 
conform our hearts into your likeness. May we stand up for your justice, absolutely. May we point to your wrath against sin. However, may we also understand that you also have these attributes of grace and mercy and love. They go together. It's who you are. And when you use your, your justice, your judgment, your condemnation, you have every right to do that, for you are a just and a holy God. And when you display your grace and your mercy, you have every right to give it. Because that is who you are. A God of mercy, who abounds in loving kindness, slow to anger, and relenting against calamity, against anger, against the repentant. And so we love you, Lord, and ask that you continue to, to shape our minds as we continue to finish this book in, in such a way to continue to learn the truth that it brings. And so we love you, and we praise you, and may you continue to grow us into the Son's likeness. We pray these things in Jesus Christ, the righteous, who has conquered sin and death. It is in Him and through Him that we pray these things. Amen. I want you to stand. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.